the Bitcoin bear market slogs on, the European Central Bank declares Bitcoin dead, and we're going to stack some more cheap sats today. This and more on today's episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. you sexy sat stackers and welcome to the latest episode of the bitcoin bulletin podcast as i mentioned in the intro the european central bank can officially be added to that dustbin of history known as the bitcoin obituaries page for officially declaring bitcoin dead uh, we'll get into that and a heck of a lot more but first let's take a quick look at the vital statistics Today is Wednesday, November 30th, 2022. Of course, that makes it DCA Wednesday. At the time of this recording, Bitcoin is at a block height of 765385 And Bitcoin currently rings in at a U.S. dollar price of 17142 That is up significantly over the last two weeks. In fact, it's the highest we've seen in a month. Uh, and currently, that means that one U.S. dollar will score you 5,834 sats. And that is unfortunately less than the 6,000 sats per dollar we were scoring the previous two episodes. But still a freaking bargain if you consider that just a year ago, uh, the fact that we were looking at, um, you know, 60, 50 to $60,000 Bitcoin and with no hope of ever seeing 20 or sub 20,000 Bitcoin again, uh, that should make you happy, not sad, because we're going to score some more sats today, and they are still on sale. Bitcoin's market capitalization has popped a little bit since last week as well. It's currently sitting at a market capitalization of $329.5 billion. That's $12.5 billion more than last week, but obviously still nowhere near that $1 trillion market cap that Bitcoin achieved a couple times when it crossed over about the $55,000 per Bitcoin range. If you value your metal, if you value your wealth in shiny yellow metal, it will currently cost you 9.3 ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin. And for those of you who value your wealth in oil, it will cost you 200.65 barrels of oil to purchase just one Bitcoin at a price of 498,398 sats per barrel. And for those of you looking for a little bit of food security, one Bitcoin will currently purchase you <clears throat> Pardon me. One Bitcoin will currently purchase you 1,027 Papa John's pizzas. That is a heck of a lot of pizza for just one Bitcoin. In fact, uh, that that's the uh, that's the equivalent of what is that? A little almost three years worth of one large pepperoni pizza a day for just one Bitcoin. The mempool is looking a little bit better than it did last week. It's currently, it looks like there's about seven blocks worth of transactions pending in my mempool. That, however, was clear almost all of last night when I was looking at, um, when I was looking at the block explorer, when I was looking at my, my node. Um, so obviously there's a little more on-chain activity right now than there was in the wee hours. 
However, that is still down from the 24 blocks of transactions that were pending in my mempool on last Wednesday. That being said, the fee estimators are saying that it will take a, a mining fee of 36 sats per byte to guarantee that your transaction is included in the next block. Although one sat per byte transactions are still estimated to clear within a day. And that sounds reasonable because as usual, as I've always mentioned, Bitcoin transactions tend to slow down when uh, it's nighttime in Europe and in the United States. Uh, as with last night when there was when the blocks were coming in at less than completely full. Uh, that'll probably happen again here in just a few more hours. So if you're willing to wait a little bit longer, um, then you know, just 10 minutes to get your transaction, your on-chain transaction confirmed. Uh, one sat per byte transactions should still clear today. However, if you want to guarantee that you don't get hung up, it is always smart to use replace by fee. That feature would allow you to change your mining fee in the event your transaction does uh, get stuck in the mempool, if there should be a large surge in the number of uh, pending transactions. Um, but I've personally, as I've said before, never paid more than one sat per byte uh, for any of the transactions I've ever done, with the minor exception of one or two times when I've used a wallet that did not let you set your own fee rate. And speaking of transactions, that metric that you know I love to follow, Bitcoin's 24-hour transaction volume rate is currently humming along at 3.19 transactions per second. That is up a bit from last week when we saw 3.08 transactions per second. And above that magic number of 3.14 transactions per second, that I have seemed to identify just on my own observations uh, in the year and a half or so that we've been doing this podcast. And that, once again, holds true because Bitcoin has gone up about $1,000 in value over the last 24 hours. And any time that I've done a podcast when the 24-hour transaction rate has been greater than 3.14, Bitcoin price action has usually been moving upwards. I believe that's only not been true just once. And uh, that was... During the uh, during well, that was uh, during that the huge FTX crash panic, uh, and of course there was a lot of on-chain activity as people were getting liquidated uh, during that fiasco. But again, this isn't scientific data, and it's nothing that I've heard anybody that is a technical an technical analyst give a, a more in-depth explanation into. It's just something that I've noticed while I've been doing this podcast. I've been following the statistics and just happened to notice that. Anytime we're above 3.14, price tends to be moving up. And of course, the higher above 3.14, the more aggressively the price has been tending to move up. For example, uh, we saw a couple of days where we were in the 3.5 transactions or higher um, transaction volume average. And on those days, uh, the price of Bitcoin was just face-meltingly ripping. So uh, again, not scientific evidence, just an anecdotal evidence from what I've observed during the time we've been doing this podcast. We are now just a couple of days away from Bitcoin's next mining difficulty adjustment, approximately five days away. Uh, we had a positive difficulty adjustment a little over a week ago, but as you know, Bitcoin adjusts its mining difficulty every 2016 blocks, which is theoretically every two weeks to try and maintain an average of 10 minute block times. And um, currently we're looking at an increase, correction, a decrease in mining difficulty and a fairly substantial one, depending where you get your information, that's going to be a decrease of anywhere from 6.5% to 9.5%. Um, and that is because Bitcoin transactions are currently averaging 11 minutes and 2 seconds. That is even slower than last week when they were averaging 10 minutes and 54 seconds. 
So it's looking like we're definitely going to get a decrease in difficulty. If you're mining at home, that's good news because uh, you'll be just a little bit more profitable. Maybe profitable is a bad word uh, to use because profitability really depends more on the, the price in US dollars of Bitcoin, but you'll be making, you'll be mining a few more sats than you, than you were prior to the difficulty uh, decrease if it does in fact decrease by almost 10% as uh, some people are estimating. All right, real quick, I want to say thank you for those of you listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app. Uh, there have been a few of you, and in fact, we do have a boost to read this week. Um, one of the quirks about the Fountain app is that if you use the boost feature on Fountain, it actually appends it to the show notes uh, when, you're, when you're looking at Fountain. But if you send uh, a boost from uh, another app such as the Breeze Wallet, uh, it doesn't. Um, and it, sometimes I can miss those. But if I look in my, uh, my podcast's BTC wallet, it will, in fact, show, uh, show the boosts. Uh, and we do have one boost. And it came in on the Breeze. It came in from the Breeze wallet. And uh, it is from a Breeze user uh, using the name simply Leggy. And Leggy tipped us 4,000, boosted us 4,522 sats and simply said, boost. And I'm adding that's boost with four O's for the emphasis of the boost in boost. So thank you very much for that boost. And thank you for all of you who have been supporting us on your favorite podcasting 2.0 apps. All right, real quick look at that news we were talking about. As I mentioned, the European Central Bank has declared Bitcoin officially dead, tweeting earlier today, quote, the apparent stabilization of Bitcoin's value is likely to be an artificially induced last gasp before the crypto asset embarks on a road to irrelevance. The ECB blog looks at where Bitcoin stands amid widespread volatility in the crypto markets. And then they've got a link to a blog post on the European Central Bank's blog uh, entitled Bitcoin's Last Stand. Uh this isn't the first time that Bitcoin's been declared dead, and perhaps this is one of the most hilarious times that it's been declared dead, because as you know, uh, Bitcoin's, Bitcoin's killer app is that it completely, it completely obsoletes central banks. So um, maybe this is a little bit of projection here, because if anything is looking like it might be in the death throes, uh, it's, it's, it's centrally planned economies, it's central banks, it's fiat money, it's people like Christine Lagarde uh, trying to close the escape hatches on us so they can control us uh, with their money that they print out of thin air, which they want to change into a central bank digital currency so that they can control every single thing you do and track every single penny you spend. Of course, don't forget, Christine Lagarde is a convicted felon for the fraud she was involved with when she was the, uh, when she was the, uh, not the president of the ECB, but when she was uh, in her previous role, and I'm having a having a brain fart here, but um, previously she had been convicted in helping funnel hundreds of millions of dollars uh, to a friend, and uh, in a, in the fiat world, that gets you a promotion, basically. All right. Also in the news, Bitcoin uh, Dylan, Dylan Leclerc was on the Bitcoin Magazine podcast, speculating that the uh, that we're looking at the imminent collapse or the imminent demise of Ethereum. You know, while the ECB is calling for the collapse and the demise of Bitcoin, there are those speculating that Ethereum has basically run out of reasons to exist. 
Uh, Dylan is important to point out, didn't say that Ethereum will die, but that there's nothing left to prop up its inflated price. For example, during the last cycle, the Ethereum price was hyped uh, by the ICO craze. Those were all, you know, uh, those all existed on the Ethereum network. And so that's, that drove, uh, that drove the price increase in, in the value of Ethereum. You know, and they also previously had the narrative that, that Ethereum was going to be the world computer. And I know this isn't an, an Ethereum show, but uh, this does affect Bitcoin. So um, I wanted to talk about it a little bit. This cycle, of course, ETH was pumped by the NFT craze, the pictures of monkeys, etc., and all of those DeFi scams. Now, of course, all of this is gone. So why are people even holding Ethereum? Uh, well, most probably because a large portion of the people that are holding Ethereum have staked it and they can't touch it. Uh, in some ways, that is a stroke of genius on Ethereum's behalf. You know, they uh, invented, when they moved from proof of work to proof of stake, they invented basically staking your Bitcoin uh, as part of their governance model and to earn earn money instead of earning mining rewards. The kicker is they wrote the mechanism for staking your Bitcoin, but they did not even write the software that would allow you to unstake your Bitcoin. And originally they estimated that that would be done sometime next year. Then it was maybe two years from now. Now there isn't even isn't even a best guess as to when they might possibly enable you to unstake your bit your I'm sorry your Ethereum. So if you hold Ethereum and you've staked it, you can't sell it. You're screwed. So that's probably the reason why uh, people are still holding Ethereum more so than anything else. And getting back to Bitcoin, there's been a lot of speculation on Reddit if we're going to see if we've seen the bottom or if there's going to be another giant leg down. If there is going to be another leg down, what could be the catalyst? Speculation has raised uh, has ranged from anything to perhaps the insolvency of the Grayscale uh, Bitcoin Investment Trust, which I think most people that really know what they're talking to have kind of put to bed because, as it was explained in more than one instance, GBTC is not a uh, it's not a company; it is a trust. So worst case scenario, the trust would just simply change ownership. Somebody might swoop in and scoop up ownership. Uh, digital currency group, you know, might end up with a black eye, but um, the uh, Grayscale Investment Trust itself would would go on. Those Bitcoin are locked up in the trust. They can't they can't dump those Bitcoin per se. Uh, they're they're part of the trust, and the trust is uh, the trust will continue in per, in perpetuity as an entity, uh, and unless maybe it gets converted to an ETF one day, which was is kind of in the hope. And of course, that would be a good thing for Bitcoin to finally have a physically settled Bitcoin ETF. Uh, a lot of people are thinking maybe the Genesis bankruptcy or a pending Genesis bankruptcy or impending Genesis bankruptcy um, might be the catalyst for another leg down or perhaps Silvergate Bank may be in trouble because of their exposure to FTX. All of this is just speculation. We don't really know. Um, and we with Silvergate, we probably won't know until we see their Q4 reports since they are a, you know, a regulated bank, a publicly traded entity uh, they have to file their they have to file reports that are fairly detailed and we won't we will find out what their exposure to FTX was in due time but uh, as I've mentioned quite often probably the biggest potential next black swan event if there is going to be a back black swan event could be the collapse of one or more uh, gigantic commercial of those gigantic commercial mining companies you know, the, there are, are a lot of huge mining companies out there that are in a lot of trouble. There, are, None of them are, for the most part, profitable at the moment. 
And some of them took out a ton of debt, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of debt to finance mining rigs, some of which they haven't even taken delivery of yet, some of which they've had to return to the to their creditors. Um, you know, the one mining company had to give NIDIG back all the all the ASICs that they borrowed money from NIDIG for because they just flat out couldn't make the money to, you know, to pay the loan. Um, but all that aside, you know, we're pretty, we're, we're not down 80% from Bitcoin's all-time high, but pretty close. We saw Bitcoin down in the 70-something percentile range. And that is about as far as Bitcoin normally falls uh, during its traditional four-year cycles. It seems like we always have that initial plummet where Bitcoin tanks significantly and then kind of kind of goes sideways for a while until we have one big final capitulation. And, and that is repeated uh, this time as well. And of course, we can't call it a final capitulation until we're in a bull run and we're looking back at this as history. But looking at where we are so far, this has played out pretty much almost exactly like the previous halving cycles have in that regards anyway. Again, all that aside, what would the top have been without this whole FTX debacle? Uh, as you know, FTX sold $1 billion worth of paper Bitcoin, Bitcoin they didn't have, Bitcoin that didn't really exist. Obviously, that had to have had some effect, negative effect, that is, on the price of Bitcoin. Would Plan B's stock-to-flow model have been correct? There are those out there who were kind of trying to point this out, uh, Vinnie Lingham, for example, all the way back in October 18th, pointed out if you add up all the Bitcoin that exchanges and institutions who hold it claim they have, we're at way more than 21 million. Hashtag just saying, hashtag probably nothing. And we know there was at least $1 billion worth of Bitcoin that didn't exist. Someone else I heard estimated that the amount of Bitcoin trading was in excess of 22 million, which you know is impossible because there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. And that won't even be until the final Bitcoin is mined more than 100 years from now. So uh, all these paper fake Bitcoin games that they played most certainly had an effect on Bitcoin's price. And uh, who knows, maybe Plan B's stock-to-flow model might have been correct if there wouldn't have been such price suppression by people thinking they're buying Bitcoin, but it actually having no effect on the market because uh, they weren't actually buying Bitcoin. So is all that shenanigans over, or is maybe Binance doing the same thing, or is there another major exchange out there that the shoe is about to drop on? Uh, probably the biggest exchange that that we would have, we would face that danger with, would be Binance. Although nobody that I've seen, at least nobody credible, has given us any information that Binance might be on the verge of collapse. Although CZ is pretty shifty, you know, pretty he's been pretty clever about, uh, for example, keeping Binance from even really having any particular country that has authority over it. So uh, Binance and CZ can potentially be shady, uh, that is for sure. But, um, you know, short of something like a major minor capitulation or a collapse of, or a collapse of Binance, uh, it would be really hard to fathom Bitcoin having another dramatic leg down. Could it drop further than it already has? Is the bottom in? Maybe it could. Maybe the bottom's not quite in, but... You know, puking beyond uh, 10,000 or lower would, would seem pretty unlikely. Uh, although, I don't have a crystal ball. Nobody does. And you just never know with the global macro economy and what's going on in the world. Obviously, if we end up in not just a recession, but a global depression, uh, that would have unforeseeable consequences on 
all financial assets, Bitcoin included. The upside here, though, is that all these Ponzi's are basically getting wiped out and the hodlers aren't going anywhere. You know, the, the, the DeFi scams, the, the, you know, the yield scams are pretty much all gone now. Uh, if you look at the on-chain metrics the, the, that people are citing from Glassnode, etc., the hodlers are just out there stacking. The huge whales necessarily aren't, you know, in play at the moment, uh, but that's to be expected. And them being on the sidelines is also giving us a catalyst to kick off that next bull run, because when they do get involved, when they get involved again, they, they get involved in a big way. Uh, and that could be, you know, the trigger of, you know, the official signal, the end of the bear market and the trigger of the next bull market. Uh to give Caitlin Long her props, she's been on a couple of different podcasts pointing out that absolutely none of this uh, fiasco would have happened if the laws that she championed in Wyoming would have been in effect in uh, places other than Wyoming. For example, uh, the laws that she helped spearhead in Wyoming declared that when you put your Bitcoin on deposit with a company that you retain ownership of that Bitcoin. So the reason why the collapse of well, FTX never owned the Bitcoin, but, you know, that's a fraud. That's a scam. No law in the world will prevent a criminal from, from, from running a scam because by their very nature, they're breaking the law, right? But companies where you put your Bitcoin on deposit, like BlockFi, et cetera, um, where when they went away, your Bitcoin isn't your Bitcoin. It's theirs. Their terms of service say that if you deposit Bitcoin with them, you simply became an unsecured creditor that you gave them the Bitcoin to do whatever they want with. Uh, and now that they're bankrupt, they're going to use that Bitcoin, anything they hold to pay off their debts. Some of them, for example, are still paying their executive salaries, et cetera, with your Bitcoin. Under Wyoming's laws, that Bitcoin is yours. She used the example of saying, you know, if you take your car to the mechanic to have it worked on and the mechanic goes uh, bankrupt, you don't have to wait for the bankruptcy court to get your car back. Your car is your car. If the mechanic goes bankrupt, you just go get your car. That is not the case with Bitcoin, unless you're in Wyoming. In Wyoming, the Bitcoin in the mechanic shop, the Bitcoin in the bank would be yours in their special to purpose, their special purpose depository corporations, which I don't think are up and functioning yet, but are a thing that's been approved through the legislature and they're coming soon. And those really should be model model rules because if we're gonna have regulation, that's the kind of regulation we need. The kind of regulation. Uh, that will protect you from the kind of scams that we saw bring down the Bitcoin market and uh, perpetuate this Bitcoin winter. All right. On a side note, how did your Thanksgiving go? I know a lot of people were very apprehensive about getting get, getting together with the family members because a year ago, many of you would probably convinced your family members to purchase their very first Bitcoin and to do so at an all-time high. And so some of them are probably a little upset with you now. Uh, in my case, that was not a problem because uh, actually I didn't travel for Thanksgiving, but the family members that I did orange pill, I orange pilled long enough ago that they're actually all still in profit, fortunately. But uh, I do feel the pain, do feel your pain for a lot of you who had to go face your family members. Uh, and hopefully you were able to explain to them that Bitcoin is just doing what Bitcoin does. And if they just sit tight and hold on, as Adam Meister always says, the Bitcoin Meister, Bitcoin always returns to its all-time high, and we are one day closer to the next all-time high. The 2024 halving is coming up fast. Uh, it's getting to the point where it's just barely over a year away now, 
And uh, you know what Bitcoin does? What Bitcoin does once it gets once it goes past that Bitcoin having, uh, it just goes on another face melt face melting uh, bull run. So people are worried about where the buyers are going to come from for the next bull run. You know, they're saying we've we've exhausted all the all the retail buyers. We had institutional buyers come in and get burned and back off. Uh, well, the next the so the the next wave of buyers. Well, we we don't really need a next wave of buyers to kick off the the next bull run. People don't people really don't quite grok the significance of the supply having the supply having that Satoshi Nakamoto programmed into the Bitcoin protocol really is genius. One way to look at it is. You know, the, the amount of people that own cars isn't really going to change from a day-to-day basis. Pretty much we have the same number of people in the United States driving the same number of cars. For the most part, burning the same amount of gas. Sure, cars get more efficient. There's more electric cars on the road. But just in general, let's say that the, 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 the supply and demand of oil situation is fairly static in the United States as far as, as demand goes. Picture if program programmatically every four years the the uh, supply of oil just automatically got cut in half and that um in 2024 the amount of oil being pumped overnight is just going to be cut in half imagine what that would do to the price of to the price of oil uh, it would make it just skyrocket and that's without that's without bringing in any new drivers any new cars any new demands for oil right you know that is one heck of a supply shock. Cutting the supply of new Bitcoin that miners have to dump on the market in half, uh, that, is, that, is, that is more than enough using just the conventional laws of supply and demand to drive the next, you know, the next, the next bull run, the next having bull run. Plus, there's going to be a certain amount of people having that holy crap moment, Bitcoin's still alive. To the people that did drop off, the people that have tuned out, that aren't even paying attention to anything that's going on in Bitcoin right now. They've moved on. They probably haven't even heard the term Bitcoin in their lives in, you know, in the last several months. In 2024, 2025, during the next halving, when Bitcoin hits that new all-time high again, they're going to hear that again. MSNBC is going to be chattering about Bitcoin. Their friends are going to be saying, oh my God, did you hear Bitcoin just hit 69,000 again? Or, oh my God, did you hear Bitcoin just hit 100,000 again? And that is where the new wave of institute, uh, the new wave of institutional and retail buyers is going to come from. That's the you know FOMO is what drives that is dri- is what drives the new waves of people to come invest in Bitcoin to purchase Bitcoin to get off zero. Um, and as I mentioned in the previous episode, in addition to re- retail FOMO, you know the institutional FOMO gets more and more involved every cycle. We saw institutional FOMO a little bit last having last bull run. But in the meantime, there's been all kinds of new developments and and developments that are continuing to be pursued that will make it easier to on-ramp that institutional money so that when the next wave of institutional FOMO hits, uh, it will be easier for them to buy Bitcoin. It will be easier for them to on-ramp and more of them will get involved just naturally. So um, you don't need to worry about where the next wave of buyers is going to come from because FOMO just brings buyers, but most importantly, what drives these four-year cycles more than anything else is uh, is that supply shock from the from the having. And looking at the last two having cycles, BT soared by around twenty x each of the previous having cycles. Right, so at the current price of Bitcoin, sitting at around seventeen thousand dollars, if Bitcoin were to even ten x, just half 
of the 20X that we got last time. We're talking $170,000 Bitcoin. Uh, that is pretty insane to think about right now. And if Bitcoin only 10X from there in the 2028 having cycle, that would easily put $1 million Bitcoin in place. So um, that Bitcoin having is 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 the bitcoin the effect of the bitcoin having should not be discounted every crypto winner every bitcoin winner every bear market people say well that's it you know you get two types of fud you get the 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 minor death spiral fud where miners are going to shut off and that's going to cause mining you know to freeze up and we hear that fud every having we hear that fud every every uh every bear market i don't need to to get into that again but we also get the FUD where, you know, it says, well, these people have been burned and they're never going to come back. But they do. They always have. But more importantly than that, you know, it's not just the United States and Europe that are driving Bitcoin adoption. It's other places like Venezuela and Argentina and Lebanon where people need crypto just to survive. Places where their currency is uh, becoming useless and they, they really don't have any alternative other than to try and get U.S. dollars and uh, or anything that they can use other than their local currency. And, you know, I mentioned uh, in a tweet the other day that four years ago, Andreas Santanopoulos used to say in his videos that when he would go someplace like Venezuela or somewhere in what's considered the developing world, he never had to explain to them why Bitcoin is important. He just had to explain to them how to get involved because they get it. And that when he would be in places like the United States, you have to explain why Bitcoin's important because the people here didn't really need it. They're comfortable. They don't care. But every day another fiat another fiat collapses. Every day another you know another currency uh, hyperinflates or devalues, uh, and that is not going to change. You know throughout the history of fiat, the entire existence of fiat currency, fiat currencies all eventually collapse. Uh, there's no reason to believe that that will stop anytime soon. And as that does, that's where, you know, a lot of your new players, a lot of your new, your new, your new wave of investors, your new wave of Bitcoiners is going to come from. As an American or a European, it might be hard to understand how you're going to get people interested in Bitcoin. But if you look at what's going on in Lebanon right now, it's pretty easy to understand why people are getting involved in Bitcoin. And when your currency collapses in some other country, you'll get it too. So I'm not worried Bitcoin always returns to its new all-time high, as Adam Meister likes to say. That four-year cycle has not uh, shown any signs of ending. There is some argument as to whether or not um, there might be a diminishing return aspect to it. But even so, even if there is a, a diminishing return to the uh, to the to the percent-wise that each new bull run goes to an all-time high. Uh, it's still many cycles away from being anything other than just parabolic. So what makes a bottom? We all know what the top signals are. Basically euphoria, right? When your Uber driver is giving you investment tips, when everybody you know is suddenly a Bitcoin expert. So what are the bottom signals? Kind of the opposite. When you're getting a lot of that FUD out there, like the people saying, well, we don't have a next wave of people to come from. When people like the European Central Bank are posting that Bitcoin's dead when hope seems to be evaporating, when everybody thinks that Bitcoin's going to have another big leg down, when people don't think this is the bottom, those are all signs of when the bottom is actually in. So, of course, you'll never know when the bottom is in until it's, you know, the next bull market has started and is well underway. But when we are in the middle of the next bull market, we're going to look back and those signs are going to be obvious. And I think we're living through some of those signs right now. So there's plenty of reason to believe that we are either 
at or near the bottom of the bottom. Plan B, again, is perhaps feeling a little vindicated. He's still still tweeting about bottom signals. Of course, as we mentioned, there's reason to believe that Plan B might have been correct with with his stock-to-flow predictions had we not had so much fake scam Bitcoin uh, zapping off, you know, siphoning off investor money and and dampening uh, price pressures. Uh, He quoted... He tweeted just an hour or so ago, quote, Bitcoin November closing price, 17170 near bottom, question mark, with his stock-to-flow model uh, Bitcoin chart uh, graphic appended to the tweet. So once again, st- uh, Bitcoin, once again, plan B out there is continuing to point out that, you know, maybe June wasn't necessarily the bottom. He's not calling a specific price as the bottom, but um, tweeting relentlessly, uh, evidence that that sure sure makes it look like we're either at or near a bottom. And I mentioned Adam Meister a couple times already. Adam Meister, as you know, he's at TechBalt on Twitter, the Bitcoin Meister. He used to do a show from time to time called Beyond Bitcoin. And this is kind of a Beyond Bitcoin moment for me. Uh, a couple of months ago, Adam Meister had posted a, a memory from uh, his childhood that whenever he hears the Jim Croce song, I've Got a Name, it, it always brings him back to riding in his dad's car. And for me, uh, actually, that song does kind of as well. Um, but there's two bands that I always used to think of, or they always, they always bring back memories of when I was a kid. When I was, when I was little, we used to travel, and we used to do a lot of stuff out west in the, in the mountains. Went to all the national parks. We'd go trout fishing, hiking, you know, camping in the woods all the time. So I always thought it's funny as an adult now listening to the bands, uh, you know, Fleetwood Mac um, and... Olivia Newton-John, because, you know, Fleetwood Mac, for example, was a California band in what, Los Angeles area or whatever. Uh, so they're playing their music. They definitely didn't probably picture the Rocky Mountains and pine trees when they were singing their songs. But to me, it always invoked uh, invoked that memories of being in the back of my parents' car, driving through the pines, heading off on some adventure into the into the wilderness, maybe to Yellowstone or Yosemite or just to go trout fishing somewhere in the Rockies. Um, and sadly, the uh, keyboardist and vocalist and one of the vocalists for Fleetwood Mac passed away today, Christine McVie. I know that has nothing to do with Bitcoin, uh, but I was thinking about Adam Meister and uh, and his um, his moment of reflection he was having about his dad and and how music can bring you back to, to times and places. And that's the second time this year that's happened to me because uh, I was actually out west. I was uh, driving through the mountains. I was in the Rocky Mountains, driving up a winding road through the pine trees uh, when the news that Olivia Newton-John had passed away um, came on the air. And um, she's another band that my parents always played when we were on those trips. So between Fleetwood Mac and um, and Olivia Newton-John, those were the two two primary bands that always made me always made me a little nostalgic about about uh, nas- our national parks and, and camping and being in the back of my parents' car. So Adam... Um, I'm relating to you on, on that, on that tweet that, that you put out today, just a little bit more than usual today. All right. And that was my beyond Bitcoin moment. The last thing I really wanted to rant about today is this effective altruism BS. Uh, Effective altruism is particularly dangerous because like a lot of the things the leftists do, it sounds like a really good thing, right? Altruism, right? Who doesn't want to be altruistic? Who doesn't want to save the world? And to be effective at it, to do it even better, right? That's a good thing, right? 
But when you hear effective altruism, it means a very specific thing, and it doesn't mean what they're hoping you think it means. Effective altruism is basically Malthusian. It's an ends justify the means thing, but it's even worse. Someone without a moral compass, someone with very twisted moral guidance will operate on the thesis that the ends justify the means. It's kind of like the trolley problem. It's okay to kill one person if it means you save three, right? Effective altruism takes that one step further. They're looking into the future and they're saying that the, that the world has all these problems that right now aren't necessarily that bad, but they might kill billions of people in the future, right? Think global warming, think whatever you want. So therefore, if a billion people are going to die in the future because of global warming, well, you're justified in killing 100 million people right now because that means you're going to save a billion. And so you've actually done a good thing. That is the sort of horseshit that effective altruism means. And that is the sort of crap that Sam Bankman fraud was espousing. And uh, I just want to make it perfectly clear because people keep throwing away the, throwing around this world effective altruism about people like SBF and people like Bill Gates and uh, these people that have really devious, nefarious plans for you. Uh, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, they had the whole population Malthus thing was really popular on college campuses. And that was the Malthusians believed that um, just like when there get when when too many when there are too many gazelles on the Serengeti, they eat all the grass and then they thought they all starve to death. And there's a population drop off. And Malthus believed the exact same thing was going to happen to the human population uh, and that it was going to reach a certain point, And then we were just going to go extinct. It was going to be worse than just, you know, a thinning of the herd. Of course, I forget what the number was that he predicted, but we have long since reached it. It didn't happen. It's BS because it doesn't take into numerous things, account numerous things, not the least of which is, you know, improvements in technology, improvements in our ability to survive, you know, climate, the, the climate, you know, things like hurricanes and harsh winters and droughts that used to really spell doom for anybody who lived, you know, if you were a, a, a farmer in an agrarian country and there was a drought, there was just no food and people died. Now we have droughts. They'd like to say we're in the middle of the most severe, longest lasting drought ever, but there's still plenty of food on the table. You could still go to the supermarket and buy pretty much exactly what you want. So the Malthusians obviously were wrong, but effective altruism is taking that, it's reviving it, it's taking it one step further, it's making it apply to all kinds of other nonsense. And the media says it, and the average normie, the average 80%er hears it, and they think, oh, altruism's great. We know we should embrace it. I just want you to know that's not what they're talking about. And I'm not trying to have a Marty Jones, Alex Jones, or in this case, a Chris Jones moment. Uh, I just wanted to vent because you've been hearing the term effective altruism over and over again. And I don't think a lot of people know exactly what that really, truly means when they say that, what they're actually referring to. All right. Now, what is altruistic is the fact that Bitcoin is going to save us from the collapse of fiat currencies. And let's get back to that because that is why we're here. We're here because today is DCA Wednesday, and if you're just joining us and you don't know what DCA is, DCA is short for Dollar Cost Averaging. And Dollar Cost Averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals regardless of price. For example, this is going to be our 71st stack. We started Dollar Cost Averaging all the way back on Wednesday, July 28th, 2021. And so far, we've stacked 70 times. We've stacked 1,400 U.S. dollars including $31.50 in fees. So 
that regular interval we chose is Wednesdays, and the uh, regular portion, the equal portion we chose is $20. And I chose $20 to keep it simple. I chose $20 because I wanted to show that regardless of who you are or where you live, um, you, regardless of how rich you are, how poor you are, you can put the DCA strategy to effect um, that, it, you know, if you're the sort of person that, that blows 20 bucks without even blinking an eye, um, if you invest $1,000 at a time, $10,000 a time, and a million dollars a time, you know, so be it. The idea is you do you. Um, but for some people, $20 is a lot of money. And I wanted to show that for even those people, uh, dollar cost averaging over time uh, is hopefully an investment strategy that can benefit even you. So um, so we chose $20. And so far, like I said, we've stacked 70 times. And that has earned us in just a little over a year and a half, a stack of 4,410,150 sats. And that is uh, that is a significant number of sats. And hopefully today we're going to add to that again. Well, definitely today we're going to add that again, add to that again today because it is DCA Wednesday. And to dollar cost average, as usual, we're going to use the Cash App. Cash App is not a sponsor of the show, but I like Cash App because I think it makes it super easy to purchase Bitcoin. In addition to being easy to purchase Bitcoin, they also let you transfer it to your hardware wallet immediately and for free, which a lot of exchanges will not let you do. Uh, so do your own research. Pick an app or an exchange that, that you feel is right for you. But if you want to use Cash App and you don't already have it, there is a referral code in the show notes that if you click on that referral code and sign up, you'll get five bucks free for doing so. We'll get five bucks as well. Uh, and that would be much appreciated. That'd be like tipping us five bucks and getting paid to do so. So I've got the cash app open. Um, I'm adding 20 bucks. It's going to take just a second because I have a debit card linked to my cash app. And I'm going to click buy, type $20, hit confirm. And boom, just like that, we've stacked another 114,126 sets. That's a little bit less than the 118,000 sats we stacked the last two times. So that officially makes last week the cheapest we have stacked so far during um, during this podcast, during this podcast DCA series, that is. Uh, and that is going to bring our stack up to a total of 4,524,276 sats. But perhaps more importantly, that is going to drop our average cost basis by $385.71. That means basically by buying at this discounted price, we're lowering our average purchase price. And so far in November, just in November alone, by stacking these cheaper sats, by stacking the Bitcoin Black Friday sale, basically, we've dropped our average purchase price by $1,932.87. Last September, we dropped it by another $1,923. So the beauty about the beautiful thing about dollar cost averaging is, sure, we bought the all-time high, but we we're also buying the lows, and we're smoothing out that average purchase price. The longer Bitcoin stays on sale, the cheaper our average purchase price is going to end up. But nonetheless, if Bitcoin does go to the moon one day, let's say Bitcoin hits that magic $1 million price, our stack of 4.5 million Satoshis would be worth $45,272.76. Even if Bitcoin only goes to 100000 during the next bull run, that would make that stack worth $4,524.27. And 
and that is certainly a heck of a return for the $1,420 that we've invested. All right, I want to reach out to you real quick and ask for you to do us a favor and make sure you're subscribed to our Twitter channel. Uh, on Twitter, we are at BTC Bulletin Pod, so please follow us on Twitter. Uh, and please let me know what you think. Send me a DM or comment on one of my posts, letting me know what you think about the podcast, what you uh, what you like to what you what you'd like about the podcast, what you don't like about the podcast, maybe what you'd like to hear me talk about. Uh, you can also, of course, listen to us on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app. Uh, and using the podcasting 2.0 app, you can help support the podcast either on a value for value model where you can stream us sats on a permanent basis or give us a boost, which is basically tipping us, but tipping us is a message. As we mentioned, we did have that, we did have that boost from Leggy who, uh, tipped us, uh, what did I say? 5,200 something sats. Uh, and of course, since that's on the lightning network, uh, it comes in the form of a message or that message comes in form, it comes in form of a lightning payment. So not only did he send us sats, but he was able to send us a message and just like uh, Leggy's boost, if you do boost us over podcasting 2.0 and it's not a shill or anything that's going to get me in trouble, we will read it on the next episode of Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. So again, please, uh, please make sure you're following us on, on Twitter at, at BTC Bulletin Pod. And uh, if you don't have Twitter or you don't like to use Twitter, uh, another way you can reach out to us is you can send me an email. And my email address is bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. Again, that's bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. I love hearing from you. Uh, and I do take to heart the things that you tell me. Um, so if you have tips or suggestions, uh, please feel free to reach out and, and let, your, let me know your opinion. But again, don't forget to join us next Wednesday and every Wednesday for our dollar cost average episodes where we're going to continue to add to that stack. But until then, keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers.